Now, our Bible reading tonight is taken from Acts chapter 22. We'll read from verse 1, and we'll read right through to verse 18. Let's hear the word of God together. You have your Bible, and turn to the place. We're exhorted to give ourselves to reading. While there's many books to read, there's only one book, and that's the Holy Bible. And what a wonderful blessing it is to have a copy of the Bible in our day. May the Lord help us to appreciate his words. Let's hear God's word, Acts 22, reading from verse 1. Men, brethren, and fathers. Hear ye my defense, which I now make unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Silica, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamil, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. And was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem, for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid. But they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, Being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers have chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, Even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance and saw him saying unto me, 
make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, we do. Now, my text tonight is taken from Acts chapter 22, verse 16. And now, why tarriest thou, arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, when I read this text of scripture from last week, following on from days that speak, I thought of a question that demands an answer. Now, this question is found in this text. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise, be baptized, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You see, this particular question, these particular words, something that had stuck a chord with the Apostle Paul in his heart and mind. In other words, he never forgot them. He didn't forget who uttered these words to him originally. He didn't forget the setting or the context. You see, these words were first spoken to Paul by a man named Ananias. And they were addressed when Paul was actually Saul of Tarsus. And it was in the great city of Damascus. He had been in the house of Judas in a street called Straight for three days and three nights. He had been led there by some of his friends. He had been blinded for three days previous. And remember, of course, why he was bound for Jerusalem in the first place. This man, a soul of Tarsus, was filled with the cruel hatred of Jesus Christ in the gospel. He viewed Jesus Christ as an imposter. He denied and denounced his claim to be Israel's promised Messiah. Despite being deeply religious, despite being a sincere man with a good knowledge of the scriptures, a man with great ability and intellect, he was a bitter enemy of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Months, weeks previous to this, he had appeared before the Sanhedrin council. He had got letters from them that followers of Jesus were to be put into prison. Their possessions confiscated and certain individuals were even put to death. This is the man that held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen to death. You see, there was few Christians left in Jerusalem to persecute because they'd all fled. And he heard of a church in Damascus. And, and, and he, he, he set out on a 150-mile journey to help persecute the people of God there. And remember at noonday as he approached the city, the city was within its sights, a great light from heaven shone. He fell to the ground. He heard a loud voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He responded, who art thou, Lord? And he got this answer. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Trembling, astonished, he replied, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And he was told to arise and go into the city. And the Bible tells us he was led by the hand into the city. You see, his eyes were open. But he couldn't see. He'd been blinded by the light. According to Acts chapter 9 and verse 9, we read there these words. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Here was the impact of the revelation of Jesus Christ upon him. And three days later, this man Ananias comes to him and remonstrates with him and asked him, why have you not yet come forward for baptism? Why have you not yet 
publicly confess Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And here's a question that demands an answer. And I sum it up from last Lord's Day evening. Why tarriest thou? And I want to lift up this question tonight. And I want to apply it in the gospel. You see, what does it mean, why tarriest thou? If I put it colloquially, it's this. What are you waiting for? Why delay in coming to Christ? Why delay in counting the cost of coming to Christ? Why the delay in the confession of Christ? See, tonight I want to know why some of you who listen to the gospel are not yet saved. You know that Jesus Christ is the only saviour of sinners. You, you know the reality of heaven and hell. You know the power and tyranny of sin. You, you, you know and have heard of the power of the blood to cleanse from all sin. You know the subtlety of the devil, the enemy of your souls. You know there's nothing more important and precious than the conversion of your precious soul. So here's the question. Why tarriest thou? What are some of the reasons for such procrastination and such delay? Let me suggest a few things. One reason is this. Being unconvinced of the facts of the gospel. You see, the bottom line is that men and women don't want to believe in God, Jesus Christ, the Bible, heaven or hell. The Bible says in Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool have said in his heart, there is no God. If you look up that text of scripture, you'll discover the words there is are in italics. What does that mean? It means they're not in the original. They've been added by the translators to give us the sense. But it's not just the fool denying the existence of God. Uh, of course, he is doing that. But it's more than that. Not only does he reject in the beginning, God. It's more than a denial. If you take out the words there is, it's an attitude and mindset of rebellion. In other words, the fool is in rebellion to God. And he does not want to believe. And that's tonight, I believe, why many are not actually converted. They're unconvinced of the facts of the gospel because they don't want to believe. Over there in John at chapter 3, we read these words in verse 18. John chapter 3 and 18 says, He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, Listen to this. And men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. It's not a denial of God's existence or Christ or the Bible. It's that they don't want God, Jesus Christ, in the Bible. They don't want to believe. And the reason, the root reason is this. that They're, they're in love with something else. Namely, the darkness of their sin and the darkness of their lifestyle. How many times have you heard the gospel, child, as a young person? Twenties and thirties, forties and fifties and eighties. 
And you've been told the great truths of the gospel. And you know you need to be saved. You know you've got a soul. You know there's only one saviour of sinners. Only one way of salvation to receive Christ by faith as Lord and Redeemer. And you haven't. Why not? Here's the bottom line. You don't want to. You're unconvinced of the facts of the gospel. Doesn't John 7 and 17 say, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. If it be of God And what is the will of God Let me tell you this tonight Now listen to me carefully God reveals himself to seeking sinners Doesn't the Bible say over there In the book of Isaiah Isaiah 55 Listen to these words Verse 6 Seek ye the Lord while he may be found Call ye upon him while he is near Let the wicked Forsake his way And the unrighteous man has thought And let him return unto the Lord And he will have mercy upon him And to our God For he will abundantly pardon And if you come before him tonight And cry out Lord show me my true self Lord show me yourself As the only saviour of sinners Or Lord if you're really there Then reveal yourself to me Lord help me to understand That I'm a sinner let me illustrate. Years ago in Scotland, there was a Scottish Presbyterian minister and he had to travel to Edinburgh. Now, they had no cars. He had no fancy carriage. He had to go on horseback. And because he lived one of the furthest away parishes in the Highlands, he had to stay overnight in a particular lodging house. And in those days, when you went into an inn or a lodging house, the minister led in devotions. And the whole house would have gathered for those devotions, everyone. That was the done thing. The family, the guests, the servants. And the minister, he said to the owner, is everyone here? And the owner, of course, said, no, there's one maid. But she's a no good, ungodly lass. A hard worker, that's why I keep her. And she's a wee room below the stairs. But she doesn't want to come. But the old minister said, bring her in. This Highland lass, as he talked to her after the meeting, had a complete lack of knowledge of God and Jesus Christ in the Bible. And he said to her this, I'm off to Edinburgh. And when I come back from Edinburgh, I'm going to have a special prize for you. And that special prize will be a blue silk handkerchief. And he told her, before I come back, there's something I want you to do. I want you to pray, Lord Show me my true self. The minister, he went away in Edinburgh, came back from Edinburgh, stopped at the same place. Of course, he had the silk handkerchief. And whenever he came back and spoke to the innkeeper, he said to him about the maid and where was she. And he says, I don't know what you said to her, but I haven't got no work out of her since you left. She's in that wee room and below the stairs and all she can hear is crying and sobbing. He eventually got her out and she told how that she had prayed that prayer, Lord, show me my true self. And she became conscious of her sin and conscious of her hopeless state and the fact that she was a lost soul. And she says, I've, I've, I've wept and prayed since you've left. And he says, well, I want you to pray another prayer now. And the prayer is this, as he gave her the gift, Lord, Show me thyself. Years later, when he was in his study in the Highlands, there was a knock at the man's door, and 
this uh, well-to-do lady come in. And uh, the lady said to the old minister, do you remember me? And he said, no, I don't. And she says, well, do you remember telling a maid to pray two prayers? Show me myself, Lord, and then show me thyself, Lord. And he said, I do. And she says, well, I'm that lady. And they struck up a friendship that carried right over until the old minister's death and no doubt into heaven. You, you see, if you want to be genuinely saved, See, that's the question. You can cry out, Lord, show me my true self. Because you're commanded in Scripture to seek the Lord while he may be found. And you have a duty to seek him. Peter cried, Lord, save me, I perish. And if you get a sight of your sin and a sight of the Savior, then that will have a, a great impact upon you. Doesn't the Bible say, Everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. If you're in dead earnest to seek the Lord, you can find him. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And you can pray, Lord, open the door of heaven to me by showing me my true self and showing me thyself. Here's one reason why people are not saved. They're unconvinced of the great facts of the gospel. They don't want to believe. It's not that they can't. They don't want to. Here's another reason, quickly. Unconstrained by the folly of the world's goods. You see, how many young people grew up with their eye on fame and fortune? And the attitude is, well, I know I need to be saved. I do. And I intend to be saved one day, Mr. McLaughlin. But just not now. Not that I'm too young. Do you know what? I want to go out and enjoy myself. I want the world and its goods and all that the world can offer me. Remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8? For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospel, the same shall save it. For what doth it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, Many young people with that mindset, unconstrained by the folly of what the world has to offer, they forget the folly of the power of sin. You think of a young person tonight going out into the world like the prodigal, riotous living, and all that that entails, drink, drugs, the party scene, a life of immorality. And you see, that young person thinks I can give up my sin when I like. I can turn my back on this riotous lifestyle when I want to. And I want to say this, you can't. And you won't. Because once sin gets a grip, once the love of sin, the pleasure of sin gets a hold, it'll be, I want to break free, but I can't. Let me tell you this story. In the Wild West, many years ago, there was a... a a father and a mother and a family and they were lovely Christian family and they were murdered by bandits killed the whole family this is how they killed them they formed two sides they had a path in the middle and they told the father and the mother and the girls if you run down and we're going to attack you with these knives and these hatchets and, uh, and swords and if you escape all our cuts and they're not dead by the end of the line we let you go free 
And they made them all run. They killed every one of them. But the last little boy, he, he was only three or four. And he knelt and prayed. And, and he was praying for the Lord to help him die because he, he believed he was going to die. He seen his family all murdered. The boss of the bandits, he, he stopped. And he said, no, we're not going to kill him. We have a different way of destroying him. Send him to the house of ill repute. Let him learn to smoke and curse and drink and gamble and cheat. Let, let, let him grow up with women of ill repute. And let's see what the immoral lifestyle does to him. And it did. It got a grip. It became like a chain. And every sin forged a deeper chain on that young fellow's lifestyle. That he was as immoral as he grew up into his teens and into his twenties. You see, when sin gets a grip, you can't break free. Did you ever see a happy alcoholic? No, you didn't. He hates his drink and yet he goes to drink. Do you ever see a happy drug addict? No, you don't. They hate their drugs. But it's like a chain. Did, did you see a happy, immoral person? No. But, but, but they, they run to that immoral lifestyle. Why? Because they're bound to it. What about the folly of the power of society? The Bible says happy is that people whose God is the Lord. How many people want real, true, eternal happiness and joy? Well, it's dependent on the Lord. The hymn writer said, now none but Christ can satisfy. And yet there's millions in the world tonight, some who are millionaires, some who are billionaires, and they have houses, and they have fame, and they have fortune, their names and lights, they get photographed every day, they, they have a love for their riches, but you know one thing they don't have? They don't have eternal joy. They don't have eternal inner satisfaction and happiness. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. They're not truly happy. It's all fake. The, the fake smiles, the fake fun, the fake laughter. You think of those who have a love of riches, set out to get fame and fortune, and the impact it has. Hasn't vast sums of money destroyed individual lives? Think of the lifestyle and life story of George Best. Uh, Alex Higgins. I heard a story about a man called a terrible Turk who was a wrestler and he won 5,000 gold pieces in some wrestling match in uh, the United States of America. He, he was traveling on board a ship uh, called uh, the SS Burgeonese and the ship went down and he had his gold belt around his waist and he jumped into the water. And of course he wasn't coming back up again because the weight of the gold was going to drag him down. The folly of the power of such thinking. What about the folly of the power of sickness? There's a story told about a Methodist minister. He was ministering in the United States and there was a young girl in his congregation and she knew that she needed to be saved. She was convicted one night and wanted to be saved. She talked to him. She said to him, I'm thinking about getting saved. I've talked to my family. I've talked to my friends. But you know, I'm not going to get saved tonight, Pastor. It's Friday night coming up. And I want to wait until after the dance. Because I knew I can't come to Christ and then go to the dance. And nobody will dance their way to heaven. Isn't that right? I've a love dancing. I'm a good dancer. And she loved the music and the merriment and the boys. And maybe even a bit of booze back then. 
And on her way home, there was a rainstorm. And she was walking, and she got absolutely soaked. And she took the cold. And then she took pneumonia. And the doctor was called. No antibiotics at her bedside. The doctor was shaking his head. Minister was sent for. Her life was ebbing away. And this is what she said to the minister. If I could not come when I was healthy, there's no good coming when I'm dying. See, let me ask tonight, young person, what can the world give you when you're sick and dying? What if you're taken from this world and all its goods and all it holds dear? What will that profit you? You intend to come to Christ. You might even plan to come. You're thinking someday, but it'll not come yet. You have an opportunity in your childhood years. You have opportunity as a teenager, opportunity in middle years, opportunity now that you're no older, but there's no guarantee of tomorrow. You see, the folly of sin and its power, this ungodly, godless society, even, even sickness when it comes. The Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Some of you might remember the brethren evangelist Frank Marshall. Reverend Dave McMillan told me this story. One time he had a gospel mission in a certain area and he went to speak to a certain farmer. You know what farmers are like. Well, he chased the preacher. He chased him with a pitchfork. In fact, he says, if you don't get off my property, I'll stick this pitchfork at you. He was mad. And the mission took place. I think it was probably about eight weeks. The farmer, of course, never came. And um, as Frank Marshall was leaving that area, he thought, you know, I'll, I'll drive around the road. I'd like to go back and speak to that farmer one more time. He saw the farmer up in the field and he got his welly boots on and he thought, right, there he's up there. He's leaning on the pitchfork. I'll go up and speak to him. But as he got up, there was no movement. He called out. There, there was no sound. You know what had happened? The farmer had taken a heart attack leaning on the pitchfork. He that had been often reproved, the Bible says, and hard that his neck shall suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Remember the rich farmer? Luke 12 and 20. Thy fool! Jesus said, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. What about being unconvinced due to friends? Can't get saved because if I got saved, I'd lose my boyfriend. I can't get saved because if I got saved, I'd lose my girlfriend. I can't get saved because my wife's not saved. I can't get saved because my husband's not saved. I can't get saved because I'm waiting on my friends getting saved first. I can't get saved because I'm waiting on the nearest and dearest to get saved. And how many broken families there are. Divided in Christ and out of Christ. Did you know that John Calvin's brother Charles never ever came to Christ? And you know what? It's all a lie. It's a big fat lie. Because the best influence you have on your family and friends. Those most precious to you is this. For you to come to Christ. Dr. Torrey told this story of a minister. It was a life-changing story. Minister and this woman had been married for 14 years. They were not Christians. They'd lived a good life. Things were great between them. And then the wife became a Christian. 
And the husband pleaded with her, don't be getting saved. I don't want you to get saved. Why? Because it'll destroy our home. It'll destroy our happiness. The woman became a Christian. And he says, well, okay, you've become a Christian, but you're not going to church. You, 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 you've just got to stay at home and be a Christian at home. And for six months, she prayed and read her Bible and she sang praises. She didn't go to church. Then she said to the husband, remember, he's not converted. I have to go to church. I need more than just being a home Christian. I need the fellowship of God's people. I need to be taught the scriptures. I need to go to the prayer meeting. I want to be able to sing with others. And this is what he said. If you go, our marriage is over. If you go, I'm walking out the door. I'm gone. And there was a big row. Well, of course, there was a lot of hot tongue between the two of them. Cold shoulder. Separate rooms for the night. This man was in bed at 11. Clock struck 12. He was mad. He was angry. He couldn't sleep. He tossed and turned. He was bitter, upset. He was thumping the pillow. He didn't know what he was going to do. And then at two o'clock, something happened. I'm going to lose my wife. My wife's a Christian now and wants to go to church. What am I going to do? So he got out of bed at 2 p.m. This is true. The wife was sleeping and he nudged her and he said, I want to come to Christ. I want to go to church as well. See, someone has said, better to go to heaven alone than end up in hell with friends and family even for all eternity. And the best service you can do to your family is that you come to Christ. You take the lead. Maybe they're waiting on you. And if you come to Christ first, they'll follow. Husband, wife, brother, sister. Remember the Philippian jailer? He got saved. And what happened? Well, his whole house got saved. His wife, his children, his servants. They were all affected. Unconvinced you to friends? It's all a lie. You need to come. That's the best influence you can have. Let me finish unchanged due to feelings. How many people are waiting until they experience some sort of feelings, some sort of emotion? I don't feel like it. And when I do feel like it, then I'll come. Let me ask this. If you go to the doctor and you're sick and he gives you medicine, what do you say to the doctor? I'll take the medicine when I feel better? No. You'll take the medicine first. And then you'll feel better. The true feelings will come. You'll feel health and strength returning. You see, people want to wait until they feel that they're guilty enough. And I want to tell you, the Bible tells us here, let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man has thought, how many people suffer an illness and don't feel any pain, show any symptoms, yet they're ill. You just have to look at them. Some are terminally ill. And you're terminally ill even though you don't feel it. And even though you don't feel that you're such a hell-deserving, guilty sinner, that's what you are. And if you pray, Lord, show me my true self, the Lord will open your eyes and give you understanding of that. Maybe you feel, but I need to change and reform my life before I come. Remember a man in Coleraine, he came into church and we loved to see him coming and he, he 
got his hair cut. Next week he was in with a, a suit and a shirt and tie on. And then his, his language changed. He, he stopped cursing. And then he decided, well, you know, I'm not going to smoke any cigarettes. And he thought if he just changed his appearance externally and, and stopped doing particular things, that that would make him a Christian. And yet the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new and all things are of God. And if you're here tonight listening to me and you're saying, but I don't feel worthy to come, then the Holy Spirit's at work. And let the Holy Spirit show you your sin. Let, let the Holy Spirit show you how uh, evil and wicked our heart really is. Remember Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? And over there in the book of uh, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, we read these words. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. It doesn't matter what you've done. Lying, murder, adultery, whatever it is, fornication, you can repent of it. You can come to the Lord and you can allow the power of the blood to grant you that full, free and forever pardon. Maybe you're thinking, well, I would love to come, but I don't feel I could ever keep it. Here's another part of that feeling. You're terrified that, that, that you would make a mess, terrified of failure. How are we kept? I want to tell you tonight we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. It's him that does the keeping. He does the saving and he does the keeping. And he gives us the grace to keep ourselves in the love and power of God. Let me finish with this illustration tonight. There was a man in America. He was a very wealthy man. And there was this diamond come up for auction. Can't remember the name of the diamond, but it was a very famous diamond. And he wanted this diamond. He wanted to be the owner. So he sold everything that he had, gathered all the money, a few million pounds, and he bought this diamond. And he was taking it back to his home country in Europe. And he was on this ship. And of course, what was he doing? Well, he was showing off. He had the diamond in his hand and he was carrying it around do you see the diamond? Do you see the diamond I bought? It's lovely. And he was throwing it up into the air and catching it again. Not something that you and I would do, but, but that's what he was doing. And one man cautioned him and said, you know, you're being very foolish. Because you could throw that diamond up into the air on some occasion, and, and the wave could come and rock the boat, and it could maybe roll on the boat, or worse, could go over the edge. The man said no, and he said, look at this. And he went over to the edge of the boat and put his hand out into the water. He threw it away up into the air and then he caught it. Did it two or three times. Laughed at the man. There you are. Don't, don't worry. A diamond's safe. Well, he threw it up one final time and he reached out to catch it. And it just hit the tip of his finger, fell into the water, and it was gone. And he said, I've lost all that I have. You know, that's what you're doing tonight with your soul. Do you know that tonight you're in the sea of time? In a ship. And that ship sailing across the ocean of eternity. And that diamond that you're dicing with is your precious soul. And you're throwing it away for what? For friends? For fame? 
for fortune, for folly, for feelings. Whenever King William came to the throne of England, the Scottish earls, they had rebelled against him. He issued an appeal and a challenge to them. He told them, come to London before the 31st of December and pledge an oath of allegiance to me and I'll give you a full pardon. All but one came. A man by the name of Earl Maclean. He was proud. He was stubborn. He wanted to be the last Earl to bow the knee. He didn't leave Scotland till the 29th of December. There was a snowstorm that year. It halted his passage. The deadline had passed. It was the 3rd or 4th of January by the time he got into London. And you know, he was executed for treason. He put off the word of the king. Didn't take it seriously. And the word of the king is, come now, let us reason together. Why? Because there's a time when you won't be able to come. And there'll be a time, there'll be no reasoning. There'll just be rebuke. And the rebuke will be, what do you think it'll be? Well, the rebuke will be this. Depart from me, all ye that work iniquity and everlasting fire. That's the word of the king. Don't play or dice your precious soul with the word of the king. Why tarriest thou? I leave this message with you and I pray the Lord will use it tonight in the gospel for his glory. We're going